you want to turn in your Bibles or open up your devices to the Scripture today, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. We're also going to look at Genesis 15 as well as Romans 4 uh, as we continue our series. If you're new with us, we started uh, a series, a long series here a couple months ago um, that's going to take us on a survey through the Scripture looking uh, at the, the whole of the Bible and the Scriptures from a theological perspective and getting a, a good concept, a good understanding of the totality of Scripture and the main themes that's there. We started off with a creation, creation in God, creation in us. From there we talked about the fall, and we led uh, from the fall the last two weeks into the flood. We talked about, uh, talked about that, talked about the flood. Now, when we looked at the flood last week, there was a common theme that, uh, that we discussed the last couple weeks, is that the flood, it didn't change the human heart. You know, God came in and he, uh, he, he spared Noah and his family. There was eight humans that were saved and spared from God's judgment on that ark. Uh, God was pouring out his judgment on the sin and the evil that existed within mankind. But it didn't change things because as soon as, we, uh, as, soon as the waters recede and the door of the ark opens and Noah and his family uh, head back into this world and, and, and restart everything, we see sin uh, right back in the picture right off the bat. We read about Ham uh, and his sin uh, right quickly, right after the flood. By the time we get to Genesis 11, uh, this new civilization, these descendants of Noah have already decided that they're going to build this giant tower to God, the Tower of Babel, uh, in which they, uh, really the whole theme of that is that they were going to find success apart from God, that they could do it on their own. And so sin continues. But you know what else continues? When we see rain, we say God grieves sin. But when we see a rainbow, we say what? God redeems sinners. And God's redemption continues through the story as well. Now, I'm going to have to back up for a second and admit something today. I made a big, huge mistake, and my fact checkers caught me last week. They did. I sang, when the rains come down and the floods come up, talking about Noah's flood, when that's actually a song that talks about the wise man building his house upon the rock, right? But today, we're going to move ahead to Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. If you went to church at all as a child, maybe the 70s or the 80s or maybe even the 90s, you sang some Father Abraham, right? That was, that was a vacation Bible school banger back in the day, you know? And so uh, that flipping song <laughs> drove me bonkers. But, um, but it's a great one. Father Abraham did have many sons. And so today as we continue on in the, 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 the story, uh, today and next week, we're going to talk about Abraham. We're going to talk about the, the, the Abrahamic covenant and what that means. If I were doing not a series that's like going to be 60 sermons long through the entire Bible, but if I were to condense this down and only do, say, 10, the 10 major themes that you need to get from Scripture, the Abrahamic covenant would be in that. As a matter of fact, it would probably be my second second sermon series. I would probably start with creation and then move straight to the Abrahamic covenant. It's that important of an event in the whole story and the scheme of what we learn about in the Bible. And there's some things that we gain that we're going to talk about this week and next that really apply to us and show us who we are in God and who we are in Christ. And today as we move through this and we look at this, and next week 
we're going to learn from Abraham what's expected for us to receive God's promises. Let me rephrase that because I want you to hear that as we move through the message. This is where we're going. This is the journey we're going to be on in the message today. So for the next about 20 minutes, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about specifically how do we learn from Abraham what is expected for us to receive God's promises. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham had left Ur, the place where he was from, and he had went to Haran and with his family, and he had built this great, uh, this great and powerful uh, uh, people there, him, his servants, his livestock, his wealth, his riches. And then in verse 1, the Lord says to Abram, and by the way, if you know much Bible, you know that before the promise and the covenant was made, his name was Abram, and then God changed his name to Abraham. We're going to just call him Abraham today uh, through the whole thing because that's the, the, the purpose and the name and the plan that God had for him. But he says to him in verse 1, he says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you and who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And verse 4 says, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. So this is the, the promise that we see that comes to Abraham. Now, I left you a lot of fill-in-the-blanks today for my note-takers and my type-A people. But when we, when we look at this, it's important for us to see right out the gate that God makes two promises to Abraham. Two promises. Number one, he promises to make Abraham a great nation. He says to Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. He doesn't just say, I'm going to make you a great person. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you a a great family man, a great father, a great husband. He says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. So he's speaking in this promise, not just to Abraham directly, but to the totality of his descendants, right? I'm going to make you a great nation. And then the second promise that God gives Abraham is he tells Abraham he's going to bless him. God found favor with Abraham, and Abraham received the favor of God. God's favor is an interesting thing, and I don't have enough time to preach on God's favor today, but man, God's favor is a beautiful thing. When you receive it, be blessed and enjoy it. When you don't receive it, don't be a hater towards those that do receive it. But Abraham was one of the blessed ones that was blessed by God and received God's favor. And he tells Abraham, he says, not only am I going to bless you, but I said, I tell you what, I'm going to bless the people that bless you. And I'm going to curse the people that curse you. A whole nother sermon. Let me step to the side. This is a bonus message right here, but... He told Abraham he was going to make him a great nation, right? Not just Abraham would be great, but he told Abraham he was going to make him a great nation. And he did. What's that nation called? Israel. The promise here when he says, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you, still applies. 
Those that bless Israel are going to be blessed by God, and those that curse Israel will be cursed by God. This promise goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, and it still exists today, and we wonder why politically and in our world there's so much turmoil, and so much of it revolves around Israel and those that are blessed and those that are cursed, and how should we as a nation treat Israel? It's right here in Genesis 12. Those that bless Abraham will be blessed, and those that curse him will be cursed. So, Abraham is given these promises... And then God tells him simply, though, there's this expectation, and we're going to look at, at chapter 15 in a minute, that there's two things that Abraham needs to do in order to receive these promises. Number one, Abraham had to believe God's promises. It's one thing to hear God's promises. It's one thing to be able to recite or to, to, to verbalize or to regurgitate God's promises, but it's something else to actually believe God's promises. And Abraham, the first thing he had to do was not just hear God's promises, not just know God's promises, not just have wishful thinking towards God's promises, but he had to believe God's promises. And honestly, that leads to the second thing was to then act on faith. Now, you say, well, that maybe that's a tricky part. You know, it's one thing to believe, it's another thing to act, but I actually believe that when you truly believe something, you'll act on that belief. And your actions really tell the story of whether or not you do believe. Because if you don't believe something, you don't act on it. And if you claim to believe something, but you don't act on that, you probably really don't believe it. Quick, somebody tell me, where are you going to go eat lunch after church today? Slim chickens. That's our default. We eat a lot of slim chickens at my house. It's a little taste of Arkansas. Come home, some good fried chicken. It's good. Don't go to Cane's. That's LSU, Baton Rouge junk. Leave that alone. Every sewer system between the Appalachians and the Rockies drains through Baton Rouge. Did you know that? It's a fact. Um, it is. It's a true fact. The Mississippi River Basin. It's a true fact. And LSU will probably beat my hogs by three touchdowns this year. You know, you, you, you got an idea where you're going to go eat lunch at today, right? Because you believe the food's going to be good. You believe that if you go there, the food's going to be good and it's going to have good service. And that's why you're going to go eat where you're going to go eat today. I promise you, if you believed that the food was going to be terrible and you're going to have bad service, you'd probably pass on that place. And that's a simple truth. But we act on what we believe. And that comes to little things like what we might eat for lunch all the way to our life's biggest decisions. Abraham believed, and then he acted on faith. And because he believed God's promises, the Bible tells us that he packed up everything, and he left Haran, and he headed to Canaan. He went where God told him to go. Now I want you to jump with me a few pages over to chapter 15. Because in chapter 15, God had given Abraham this promise, right? And he told him, he said, man, I'm going I'm to make you a great nation. And you go to this land I'm telling you about Canaan and everything's going to be good. And I'm going to fulfill my promises to you. So Abraham gets up and he believes and he goes. And when we come to verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1, God speaks to Abraham again. And he says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision. And he said to him, he said, don't be afraid because... Canaan was a rough place, wasn't it? It's a rough place. There were in this place called Canaan, there was these things called Canaanites and Hittites and 
and Jebusites and parasites and all this stuff you didn't want to mess with. And he tells him, he says, I'm going to protect you and your reward will be great. But notice verse 2, Abraham or Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, he's going to inherit all my wealth. Now, don't misinterpret this verse as Abraham not having faith. As a matter of fact, I believe that verse 2 proves the depth of Abraham's faith. It proves it. Abraham believed God so much that he was struggling to understand how this was going to happen and he was going to become a great nation when he didn't have any children. I actually believe that sometimes when we truly exercise faith, we will have questions. When you have no questions, when you have no questions, a lot of times that is a lack of faith. It is okay to question sometimes. It is okay to ask questions. And when Abraham asks this question, he is showing God, God, I believe you. I just need to know the details. And guess what? We don't have to know all the details, and God does not have to give it to us. And by the way, when you read on in this passage, he doesn't give Abraham the details. But he does He does continue his promise with Abraham by making a covenant with Abraham. As we read on in verse 3, he says, You've given me no descendants of my own, so, so one of my servants will have to be my heir, which was customary during that time. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to him, No, 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 no. Your servant will not be your heir. The Lord doubled down on his promise of Abraham's descendants. He says, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and he said to him, and I love this, he, he points at the sky and he says, he says, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. By the way, there was only one person in this conversation that had the ability to count stars. He says, that's, that's how many. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Here's Abraham with no children. Saying, God, how are you going to fulfill this promise? I don't even have a son. And God walks him outside into the night sky. And I can just imagine, there probably wasn't a whole lot of light pollution in, in, in Canaan during this time. I can imagine the Milky Way was shining in all of its glory in that infinite cloud of stars. And God pointed him to the heavens and he says, count them. That's your descendants. That's how many you're going to have. And then, I want us to press in on verse 6. And if you're keeping notes, you'll see you got some fill-in-the-blanks on this one because this is, this is one of the most significant verses in all of Scripture. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's the, and then as we read on, verse 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, God takes this... This counting, this uh, counting righteousness towards Abraham, this this promise that he's made, and he seals the deal with an Old Testament custom called a covenant. And kings would do this, where they would take an animal and they would they would cut the animal in half, and they would uh, drag the carcass, basically. I know this is gruesome across the ground, so that the blood would be spread, and then they would walk and pass through the blood, uh, marking this as a covenant. And basically, it was saying this is a covenant that's sealed by blood, and that that you know if if we break this covenant, may the same thing that happened to the sacrifice happen to us. 
And, of course, we know that the blood covenant, the body that was broken for us, that God made with us, was his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was our blood covenant. Jesus, that's when he shed his blood. It was God doing the same thing he does here with Abraham on our behalf. God took a sacrifice. He took something that bled, and he sacrificed that thing so that the covenant and the promise can be kept. And so he makes this promise to Abraham in these verses. And it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness because of his faith. Look, I want you to notice here that Abraham was not seen, he did not find righteousness in God's eyes by his good works. The Bible never says because he was willing to leave Haran, or because Abraham you know, read his Bible every day, or because Abraham checked all the boxes, that that's what God decided to count to Abraham as righteous. It was none of that. It was faith. It was his belief. That's what gave righteousness to Abraham. That's how he found righteousness in the eyes of God. And this is the Abrahamic covenant. When we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, it is not that God sacrificed some animals. No, the Abrahamic covenant is that God shows us that faith produces righteousness. Not our good works, not our good deeds, because the flood shows us that sin and evil continued. That, God, that those things are not the things that bring righteousness. That what brings righteousness is our faith and our belief in God and God's plan. And God's systems and God's sacrifices. Which we know is Jesus Christ. That's what brings true righteousness. That's the Abrahamic covenant. The promise that God made with Abraham and with all the nations of the earth. Which is part of that promise we saw. Is that if we have faith, if we believe, we can find righteousness in the sight of God. Through faith. Through believing. As we move through from here all the way through the rest of the Bible over the next probably year as we preach through this series, we're going to talk about covenant relationships a lot. And we're going to talk about covenant community a lot. Because that promise wasn't just to Abraham, but it was to all his descendants, right? Covenant community. And by the way, those of us that are in faith in Jesus, we are the grafted in branch. We are a part of that family. We are a part of that community. And that promise, when he said, those that bless you, I will bless, and those that curse you, I will curse, that counts towards us too. So what? So here's the question, because I told you at the beginning, we're going to learn from Abraham what is expected for us to receive God's promises. So what does God expect of me? And the answer is simple. The same thing. The same thing. That we would simply believe God's promises, that we would put our faith in him and we would believe the truths and we, we would believe the promises that God has given us. It's that we believe, that we believe. As a matter of fact, as our musicians come, I want to wrap this up with a powerful passage from Romans 4 that illustrates exactly what we've just been talking about. Paul uses the Abrahamic covenant to teach us such an important lesson. And I told you that we're going to look at the story of Abraham and ask the question, what does it teach us about us? Here it is. Look at this passage. Let's read it together. Romans 4, 20 through 22. Verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Oh, man, what faith. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Because what happened is as Abraham continued on, God would give him another opportunity where he had to practice faith, his circumcision, the instance with his son that we're going to talk about next week on the mount. God would give him these moments, and then God would come through, and Abraham's faith would be strengthened even more. Those of you that have been in this faith journey long, 
you know that there are times in life that are that are challenges to our faith but when god sees us through those things it gives us even more faith he says his faith grew stronger and in this in this in the strengthening of his faith he brought glory to god he was fully convinced that god is able to do whatever he promises i love that term i love that verse Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Isn't that what we just read in Genesis 15? Because of his faith. Now, here's where it gets good. Look at 23 and 24. Next slide. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. Because remember... He didn't say, I'm going to make you a great person. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation, right? It wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. That's why we read it in Genesis chapter 15 at the very beginning of the Bible. And then you can flip your Bible all the way nearly to the end when Paul wrote Romans and it's recorded again. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in Him. That the same belief that Abraham had, it applies to us. We find righteousness the same way Abraham did by believing God's promises. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life to make us right with God. So what's Paul doing there? What's Scripture showing us? That there's a connection between Abraham and his faith and believing God's promise and what God did and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And just like Abraham believed God's promise to make him a great nation and to bless all the nations of the earth through his lineage, which, by the way, is prophecy of Jesus, that through that line, through that lineage, would come the sacrifice Jesus Christ, the blood of the covenant, that through that same process, which Abraham believed, that we can believe too. And that through believing, we receive righteousness just as Abraham did. So today, here's the message as we wrap up. If you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are less than righteous. And if you're depending on being good enough, that maybe one day God will allow you into heaven because you're a good person, you're thinking that like your religious acts coming to church reading your bible what given on the new app is going to somehow find you favor with god i just want you to know that you're wrong that's not going to do it but the great news is the good news the gospel is that it's so much more simple than that that if we'll just put our faith and believe god's promises believe that his son jesus christ died on the cross that the power that saved abraham rose him from the grave by putting our faith and our belief in that, that we too can be found righteousness in the eyes of God. We too can be seen as holy. We too can inherit eternal life in the kingdom of God. If that's you today, I want to call you to believe that, to accept that. That's the Abrahamic covenant. That's the gospel in Genesis 15. So may God speak to your heart today as we have this invitation. Whatever he's leading you to do, whatever next step you need to make, this is your time. Let's stand together and let's have an invitation. You come if God's speaking to you. Have thine own way.